Hey, and thanks so much for taking a moment to visit our podcast. Our mission at Antioch FBC is to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus and go to our neighbors in the nations. We want you to be encouraged by this podcast and hope even more that you would come be a part of what God is doing in the community of Antioch. To find out more, visit us at www.antiochfirstbaptist.org. And now, stay tuned for a message from Pastor Matt. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brian. Good Christmas Eve. Good morning again. It's a joy to joy. Hey, it's a joy to gather together and celebrate specifically all that God has done through our final week of Advent. Uh, this has been a season of anticipation. If you're not familiar or have not participated in Advent, um, before it's simply four weeks prior to Christmas, looking and understanding and anticipating that Christ is coming as a babe, and so we have done that each week. And you know, this season of anticipation, right? This season of waiting. Last night we do we do this as a family every Christmas, but we did the get some hot cocoa. Well, everybody except me, but get some hot cocoa, get in the van, and we drive around and look at Christmas lights. You guys do that? Oh, it's so much, you should. It's just so fun. There's a house that we go to, and then there's, outside of it, there's this huge sign, and it's got numbers at the top, and it says, number of sleeps till Christmas. And so that, that number two was there last night. We only have one more, right? And just that, that feeling of anticipation, that feeling of what's to come. Tomorrow we celebrate the incarnation of our God. And maybe some of you have already gathered with family this week or, or leading up to it. Maybe today you will, maybe tomorrow you will. But for most of us, when we gather this year, we give gifts to one another, don't we? We celebrate the ones we love by putting on display for one another through the giving of gifts. And that's what we've been focused on each week during our Advent series. We've seen each week how Jesus has been given as a gift for us and how he gives it to us by a loving and caring Heavenly Father. Now, the first week of Advent, we, we saw Jesus as a wonderful counselor. We, we saw how we are to trust in Jesus, how we are to go to him in our time of need. Second week, we talked about how Jesus is a mighty God, how he has conquered and defeated armies and nations, and how he's been mighty in each of our lives. But most of all, he has most shown himself mighty when he saves us from our sins. And then last week, we talked about how he has given to us as an eternal or everlasting father, how he gives us comfort that he is our God who was 
and is and is to come. And then today we're going to celebrate and see how Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And as we've said, we've guided that through Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, as Brian just read. But before we enter into that text, we, we do this every week here at Antioch. We take just a moment of silence just to our hearts to receive the word of the Lord. There are many things you have brought in here with you this week, many stresses, many thoughts, many things that are just vying for your attention, as we've said. But right before we sit down before the word of the Lord, we pause and we just remember that he is the one who changes us. And we ask for him to do that. And so we'll take just a moment of silence and ask him to open our eyes, to have our ears ready to to hear his word. And, and, and we know that sometimes when we do this, sometimes your mind, mind, your mind might be racing. Maybe there are thoughts that are bombarding. If that's happening this, in this moment, simply pray to yourself, Holy Spirit, give me ears to hear. So let's do just that. As we said, our focus in this Advent season has been given to us by what Isaiah prophesied. We read it in Isaiah 9, 6. We, we focus on that it is Jesus who came to us. And we've, we've gone through the names that Isaiah have prophesied each week. And we've looked at what each one means. And we'll do it again today. But, but here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to miss the beginning phrases of that verse. For unto us. Man, that's good news. For unto us. I think many times we read that and we breeze past it. Literally, let's get to the answers. Let's get to wonderful counselor. Let's get to mighty God. And that's fine. We're excited. It's almost like in the middle of Christmas. I don't know what kind of family you're in. Are you at a one present at a time family? Or are you in a no hold barred family? I read somewhere that somewhere a, a one president at a time family person marries someone who's a no holds barred person and that Christmas just explodes because they don't know what's going on, right? But whether you're a, a one person at a time or whether you're all, let's just open them all together. We get so excited about the gifts. We wrap open the presents and, and the kids are just busting everything out. And, and we in the background hear mom or dad or grandma and go, hey, who was that from? That ever happened to y'all? And what happens? There's this scout sort of scouting around for, the, oh, let me, let me find the, the label. Let me find the tag. And, and I think there's that energy that we can all have as we look through this verse and go, oh, let me see what Jesus is. Oh, how is he wonderful counselor? How is he mighty God? Those things are good. But let's stop and let's look at the tag. For unto us a child is born. Yeah, that gift has our name on it. But who is it from? A wonderful heavenly father who knew that we were going to race ahead and try to open the gift. Who knew that we were just going to be worried about what we got, even though we didn't deserve it. And so before we tear open that gift this morning, 
let's remember that for unto us a child was born. Unto us a son is given. Our God has given us a gift that we don't deserve. We have rebelled against him. We have fallen short. And it goes all the way back to Adam. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, we're going to look at that today. We were separated from perfect communion with him. But yet, still, for unto us, a son is given. This gift of reconciliation is given to us. And as we look, as we've we've said each week, this context of what's happening here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we got to understand who this message was to. Yes, we look back just at verse 2, and we see how the Spirit describes what is happening and how the people felt. And he says, the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. We begin here each week because we recognize that not everyone in the room, one, may have already put their faith and trust in Jesus. Not everyone in the room may have understood the hope, the faith, and the joy, and the peace that he brings. But we also acknowledge that for, our, for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, this could be a difficult season. It could be hard for us to be merry and bright. Maybe we're looking around the tree this morning or this, this season and we see empty chairs of people, our loved ones, who were with us last year but aren't this year. Maybe we have a season of heartache and dread because of all the things that are tied and connected with this season. And if you, like these in Isaiah, are walking in darkness, if you are in a season of doubt or despair, please know you're welcome here at Antioch. You don't have to act like everything's okay. You can admit and be open about how you feel, maybe, again, missing a loved one, maybe a relationship with family in turmoil. Maybe you feel alone. My prayer that has been for us during this Advent season that I would ask that the Spirit do even today is that we would see the light as those in Isaiah 9-2 have seen it that those who are walking in darkness would see this light, that maybe you too would find faith again to believe. You too would find reasons to keep going in the midst of darkness. And one thing we have to acknowledge that we've acknowledged each week here in Isaiah 9, 6 is what is actually happening before our eyes. And what we have said and what we understand to have happened and what is happening in front of us is that we see the Holy Spirit inspiring the prophet Isaiah to write and tell the words of God the Father about the coming Messiah, God the Son, 
Jesus. So we see all three things happening right here in front of us. And in Christianity, we, we've termed it the Trinity, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what we've done is we've said that, hey, we can see in certain specific places in Scripture this happening right before us. And that's what we see here in Isaiah 9-6. This doctrine, again, of the Trinity is one that we've said is sometimes hard to comprehend. It's sometimes hard to understand. And we're thankful that when we look back through church history, that not only is it difficult sometimes for us now to understand, it was difficult and even in church history to understand. If you go all the way back to the year 325, we, we've, we've heard that this Council of Nicaea met together. Theologians and scholars and, and people of the faith would get together at this council to try to put into words, to try to help us as believers put words to what this idea of the Trinity is. And so each week we have recited this creed together, and we'll do it again this week. This is the Nicene Creed. So after these scholars met together at this council, they wrote together this creed that we can now recite as the church to help us understand what the Trinity truly is. And so let's do that again this morning. Are you ready? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. He was begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. And through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. And for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified, and he has spoken through the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look forward for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. It's always good for us to recite out loud together our faith and what we believe. And, and each week we kind of looked at two sort of questions about the Trinity, and I'm going to drip brought bring those back together for two reasons this morning. One is we just said, and we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, we just said we were the Catholic Church and we had, we had someone ask, hey, what, is, what does that mean? Is that confusing? Well, no, we look at that little C Catholic, right? 
If you see big C Catholic, that is the Roman Catholic Church. But that's when you see little C Catholic, that's not what that stands for. The little C Catholic Church, meaning all the churches together in the kingdom of God. And that's why this morning we prayed for another church, because we are a part of the one big Catholic Church. And the other thing we need to understand is that Jesus coming to earth was not the beginning of Jesus. Yes, it was the beginning of his earthly ministry, but he was not created by God. As we said, he has always been, he is always, is and will always be. And so, yes, he came to earth as a babe and lived a life here on the earth, but that was not his beginning. He has always been. And so one way for us to sum up what we just recited together in the Nicene Creed, we have three points that remind us of what the Trinity is. Number one, God is three persons. Each person, number two, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is fully God. Number three, there is one God. It's helpful for us to know these truths about God, to look at these distinctions, yet at the same time, the shared qualities that all three of them hold, with today being no different. And as we said, we're going to look at that last name that, G that Isaiah gave Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And we're going to look at it in three particular ways. Peace with God, peace of God, and then the future peace that he then Brings. But let's first look at how Jesus gives us peace with God. So we got to begin here. We must begin here that we get peace with God through Jesus. Because unless we understand what this means to have peace with God, we can never understand or experience the other two. Peace with God is the reason that Jesus came to earth. Peace with God is why we need Jesus in the first place. Again, if you think about, we've already mentioned Adam. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter the 3, we find reasons we're in need of this peace. It's because Adam and Eve fell to the temptation of the serpent. Because they believed the serpent, instead of trusting in God, they ate the fruit of the tree in which God forbade them to eat. And ever since that moment, sin had entered the earth. And Adam's sin is now passed on to all men. And Paul sums it up in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, when he said, he said, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man... And death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. There is no longer peace with God because Adam's fall corrupts us. Unless, unless the Prince of Peace comes, because if he doesn't come, we can no longer be reconciled to God. Our sin has fully separated us from a perfect, righteous, and holy God. But I love that even in Genesis chapter 3, all the way back in the beginning, we do see the fall of Adam. We do see the fall of Eve. But in that same moment, we see the promise. 
We see the promise of the one to come. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God said, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. But here's the promise. He, being Jesus, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In the moment that Adam and Eve fell, God gave the promise of Jesus. All the way back at creation. He said, Jesus will come and crush the head of Satan. And he said he would bite his heel. Satan did. Jesus did go to the cross. There was some pain. There was some, some experience of agony there. But Satan didn't have the last word. Jesus, according to the promise of God in the garden, will crush the head of Satan. The prince of peace will crush Satan and defeat sin and death for all. Jesus came to earth to be our propitiation. And that word propitiation, don't get afraid of it. It simply means that he took on the wrath of God. He calls our sin to be turned away. God no longer sees our sin because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. He stepped in our place. He became propitiation for us. And Jesus did this by offering himself as a sacrifice that appeases God's judgment. It appeases God's righteous and right anger against our sin. So the only way that we can have peace with God is that the, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect spotless lamb of God came to earth. And the way that you and I can experience again peace and perfect communion with God is to repent of our sins, to confess that he is Lord. And Jesus did all of that so we could go free. Man, that's glorious. That's good news. This is what peace with God looks like. We have several passages of Scripture that gives us this description. Romans 5, chapter 1 says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 through 22 again tell us of this peace with God. That's the wrong one. There we go. Colossians 19, chapter 1 verses 19 through 22. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, talking about Jesus, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, the blood that was shed on the cross. Scripture tells us that once we were alienated and hostile in our minds, expressed in our evil actions, but now he has reconciled us by his physical body through his death to present us holy and faultless and blameless before him. That's how we can have peace with God. 
because of what Jesus has done on the cross. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And once we understand that peace with God, then we can begin to have the peace of God. See, this peace of God comes when we acknowledge him in all things. When we rest in his sovereignty and his perfect plan. But so often, we forget, don't we? And we try to take on the cares of the world ourselves. Cares we were never intended to take on. And so often we forfeit the peace because we try to rely on our own strength. So often we forfeit the perfect peace because we don't believe we have a God who understands. But scripture, again, points us back to where our perfect peace comes from. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what's that next line say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Or what about Psalm 4, 5 and 8 that says, Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many is asking, who can show us anything good? And he says, let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You have put more joy in our hearts than have when their grain and the new wine abound. But what does he say at the end? I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. That's the peace of God. When we trust in him, when we rely on him, when we quit trying to figure it out ourselves, when we put our faith and hope and trust in him, we can then have the peace of God. But there's one more example I want to share. If you look at the Gospel of John, Jesus, in, in his own words, through chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, are giving us the understanding of who God is and how he is changing our perspective on how we are to live and how when we put our faith and our trust in him, things become different. And at the very end of that exhortation that he gives us, in, in, in John 16, here's what he said, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. Yes, you'll have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I've conquered the world. As we sing so often, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. But that final aspect of the peace of God that the Prince of Peace gives us is our future peace. This is a hard one for us to grasp. Because we look around and we see so much destruction. We look around and we see so much hate. We see so much war. We see so much pain. And we often ask ourselves the question, why? Why is it like it is? 
If we're to have peace, why? Often we wonder, how could there be so much heartache? And again, I'll I'll point us back to Genesis chapter 3. It's because sin has entered the world. It's because perfect communion with God was broken because of Adam and Eve's fall. And because we as believers have the answer to perfect peace, rather than just sitting around talking about how bad it is or how much worse it has gotten, what we've been called to do is to enter into that world and to show the lost and hurting and dying the real Prince of Peace. And Paul gave us this exhortation in 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, he said, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of them. He said, but I received mercy for this reason. Why would God pour out his mercy on Paul? Why does God pour out his mercy on us? Here it is. Here's the reason. So that in me... The worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. He pours out mercy on us so that we can be the ambassadors of peace into a world that is broken. And through us going into the world, the peace of Christ is shared and shed abroad. And he gives this benediction, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. This is why we are called to go. My pastor friend and I were having lunch this week and he mentioned this quote, he posted it and I was like, man, I'm, I'm gonna use this on Sunday. This is from uh, Dr. Sarita Lyon. She's an author and a director of discipleship and women's ministry at Epiphany Fellowship um, in Philadelphia. Here's what she said. She said, unless your strategy is to live isolated in your house and never go outside or never turn on the television, encounters with the culture are unavoidable. And the Bible doesn't say that God has called us to hide in the safety of our sanitized Christian homes. It says that the Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to just constantly be talking about how mortified we are by the decline of society. So what's the answer? Instead of being surprised or angered that the world is simply acting on brand, Let's roll up our sleeve. Let's equip the church on what we should expect. Give them the tools that help them respond and know what to avoid. And then model how to be light in the darkness. That's what we're called to do. 
We, we mentioned this last week, that during this longing, this waiting of the Advent, the Advent season, it, it's not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. Yes, we're waiting for our king to return, but in our waiting, we go. This is why, again, our second part of a mission is to go to our neighbors and the nations. So as believers, we know that the Prince of Peace has come. The Prince of Peace has given us peace with God. He has shown us how to have the peace of God. And as we await his coming again to bring the future peace to all the world, we go. So how do we keep ourselves in remembrance of that perfect peace that's coming? How, how do we keep ourselves in remembering that the future peace is coming? We come to the table. And he said, do it in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? We're remembering that he came to earth to give us peace with God. We're remembering that he has shown us a way to live, to have the peace of God. But we're remembering that he'll come again to give all the world future peace.